Hello, buddies. I'm Maya. And I'm Jeffrey. And on today's episode, we discuss how we've been supporting the movement for Black lives and how you too can help. Whether it's marching on the streets or surfing the web from your sheets, there's a lot you can do. Plus, it's Pride Month, so we'll be looking at how Pride 2020 is looking a lot more like Pride 1970 and what this could mean for Pride 2021. And we'll be looking at how our own gender and sexual expression and identity have evolved from childhood up until now. And as always, some new tunes for your mood. This is The Buddy Mix. I think educating oneself right now is very important. I'm not relying on your Black friends to do that for you because they're exhausted. Right now, people have been posting a lot of resources and both educational and in terms of actions that can be taken. But I think it's exhausting as Black people to go online and, and constantly see your entire feed flooded with that and to see people like reaching out to have you educate them when this is something that has been going on for you know their entire life. Many times they've been alone protesting and speaking out and, and nobody has joined them. I keep coming back to this idea of doing your research because I cannot emphasize enough. Just like Jeffrey said, your Black friends are exhausted. Do not burden them with giving you knowledge that has existed forever and things that they've been telling you forever. There is so much material out there for you to learn. Also, don't expect them to be the perfect activist at this time. And that's one thing that's really been angering me is that, you know, for a lot of people, it's sad to say, but this is a trend for them. And I think you saw that with the whole black square thing that happened this past week. It's just, it's something that is happening on social media. So they're participating in it right now. And they're asking friends why they are or aren't participating in it. This day. But don't, don't let the fact that this movement is being played out very visibly on social media distract you from the fact that for Black people in Canada and the U.S., this is their everyday life. Even when you stop posting about 10 ways to be a non-optical ally, they're still going to be feeling or living the experiences that are being talked about now. On that same note of, of resources, uh, one of my favorite uh, documentaries is 13th. Uh, it's up on Netflix. I looked at mass incarceration in the U.S. The fact that, you know, here in the U.S. we have 25% of the entire uh, prison population in the world. And that the reason for that is that the U.S. profits off of having Black people and people of color in prison because it's basically a form of modern day slavery in which you can get labor for free and, and mass produce and make money off of that. And also so many of those, those items that are mass produced uh, are eventually fed to the military, which then go wage war crimes in other countries in the US and then against our own citizens as we've been able to see at the protest with how heavily militarized the police are. Yeah, 13th is a really great documentary, and it's one of those that opened my eyes and my family's eyes to how these systems of mass incarceration work. Uh, and, you know, Ava DuVernay, any 
thing she touches, in my opinion, turns to gold. So I love her. Uh, I love that documentary. It's available on Netflix, as Jeffrey said. I believe now it's also been made free for viewing on YouTube. Even if you don't have Netflix, it's a really great resource to check out and share with people. So I would highly recommend that. Um, One of the things you were saying about capitalism, too, I think is, is really important because then you get into a lot of the discussions about how intricately these systems are tied up. And when you look at a lot of the discussion that's being had in tandem with the Black Lives Matter movement right now, which is the defundment of policing, uh, which is, I think, a really important conversation that we should be having. And it's nice to see so many people opening themselves up to this idea of the fact that police need reduced funding. We can move to a society where policing becomes obsolete and instead we've replaced it with a lot more social services or civil workers and things like that. Uh, And policing is inherently tied up with our capitalist system because policing serves as a way to protect the interests of those with money and those in power against people that are quote unquote seen as criminals. And uh, there's a book called The End of Policing, which I just finished reading and it was sort of my first introduction into a lot of these ideas. Uh, It's free right now as an ebook through the publisher Verso Books. So I would highly suggest everyone going to that website, uh, looking up The End of Policing by Alex S. Vitale and just giving it a read because it's a really just good sociological study of how policing came to be a thing in our society and all of the different structures that it interacts with and also about how reforming the way that police work isn't enough and how we can abolish it entirely. And I think the thing you were saying about capitalism was interesting. I want to read a quote from the book that relates to that directly because I think it's really powerful. So he explains that one of the mistakes that Trump supporters make is imagining that their own economic conditions will be improved by continuing to exploit foreign lands while excluding those who suffer as a result. That analysis assumes that wealth generated by that process will somehow trickle down to American workers. The last 20 years have taught us that these global economic arrangements do not include national allegiance on the part of corporations or sharing wealth within national economies. The wealth of the United States has increased dramatically in the last two decades, but all of that growth has gone exclusively to the richest 10%. The rest of us have seen wages and government services decrease. Our standard of living is not declining because of migrants, but because of unregulated neoliberal capitalism, which has allowed corporations and the rich to avoid paying taxes or decent wages. It is a system that must be changed. Another piece of literature that I highly recommend looking at is Stuck in Place. Stuck in Place, Urban Neighborhoods and the End of Progress Toward Racial Equality. It's by Patrick Sharkey. Basically, it's looking at from the 1960s through now, what policies both socially and politically have been used to basically dismantle all of the progress that we thought we had made with the civil rights movement that still makes sure that Black people in America do not have the same access to resources and the same opportunities that white people or people of other races do here in this country. This is a a book that I found really helpful just because I think a lot of the literature that is out there right now definitely highlights a lot of the social and political inequalities that are plaguing Black communities 
within Black communities, but this one book that I read, uh, How to Be Black by Baratunde Thurston, really highlighted a lot of the experiences that he as a Black man had in relation to white people because he is a Black person who was in a lot of like predominantly white spaces. And so I found it a book that is really helpful uh, if you are a white person who's trying to be an ally or a person of another race who's trying to be an ally because it really shows you what it's like to walk in the shoes of a Black individual in these spaces where you might be interacting with them uh, on a day-to-day basis and how you as an individual are also feeding to the inequality. Because I think that oftentimes people look at political institutions and look at how those institutions are the ones that are feeding the inequality, but don't look internally at how they as individuals are also feeding that inequality. So I think that's a great book to also look at. And I would highly recommend uh, to anyone who is willing to go on this journey of understanding your place within the system of perpetuating racism and white supremacy, because we all have it, even if you're not someone who is a white person, you're still complicit in upholding those systems. So I would encourage everyone to read the book, Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad. Uh, So it started out as a 28 day Instagram challenge, which turned into a free PDF, which turned into this book uh, that kind of serves as a guide for people to use to navigate really their first time, or even if it isn't your first time, like I used to consider myself pretty well versed in these ideas. And reading her book really did open my eyes to think more critically about the ways that I have and might continue to perpetuate racism and systemic inequality and things like that. I also have a list of resources that my friend and I put together that is linked in my Instagram and Twitter. And I believe we can share on our social pages as well. A lot of actions that people can take right now are donations, signing petitions, things like that. I was curious to know what organizations you've been following, if there's any that you've donated to or you want to highlight for listeners to check out? So I've been trying to kind of act locally and also nationally and have been trying to disperse money to as many different like organizations that are intersectional and meet different intersections of the Black identity with another identity as well. So um, one local organization that I supported is Casa Ruby. To anybody who's listening in DC or even outside of the DMV area uh, who wants to support Casa Ruby, provides housing and a lot of resources to specifically Black and POC trans women and non-binary individuals. It's an organization that's been around here in DC for a really long time and that I've been supporting uh, since I was in college. And yeah, right now they are really holding it down for for a lot of the communities. If you're a listener who wants to support, uh, you know, an organization locally that does a lot of work within the Black LGBTQI plus community, definitely do some research. It's not too hard to find organizations in your city or in your state that are doing that work. You know, we can definitely post to our Instagram page uh, links to those kinds of places because I have been finding a couple websites that specifically have like lists of resources across all states uh, and cities to make it easier for people to find those 
I've also been supporting a lot of just friends as well. You know, as you know, with COVID, it was hard for people to finish up their studies this year. And not having a graduation was something that was tough to you for a lot of, uh, for, for a lot of my friends. So I just, you know, individually like sent uh, some gifts here and there as like graduation gifts to them. And not even also, and not even just because of COVID was graduating hard, but just like being a black person and trying to get through college period is hard. And then the movement for black lives, I sent some money that way. And also uh, the protester bailout funds. Uh, there's one website called Act Blue, and pretty much they have an entire list of about 60 different bailout funds that you can individually choose to donate to, um, or you can give like a specific amount and then it'll be dispersed amongst all the 60. So I just chose to disperse it amongst all of them equally. So yeah, you know, I think it's it's been a, that, that's a good tactic to use if perhaps you're not going out to protest but want to donate and have that be one way that you are helping out. Definitely try to find as many different organizations as possible. If you can, you have the means to, that you can donate to. And if they can all sort of check off different different needs within the community or different intersectional identities, that's really awesome. Yeah, 100%. I like the idea of being able to spread your money to organizations that are doing very different things. Uh, So I personally have been supporting both U.S.-based and local organizations and different funds in those ways. So uh, organizations that I've been supporting, the first is the Black Visions Collective, and that's a Minnesota-based organization that's really been on the front lines of a lot of the Minneapolis-based protests for uh, the murder of George Floyd. And they're doing a lot of really good work. You know, they're they're led by some really great people. And so I've donated to them. I've also donated to an organization in Toronto called Black Women in Motion. And they offer consent and mental health education and advocacy by Black women, for Black women. And they do a lot of support for survivors of sexual violence. So I really like that organization as well. I've also donated to the movement for Black lives, uh, like Jeffrey, because again, just based on the national conversation we're having, they've been doing a lot of really great work. And I donated to them through uh, a company called Brain Dead, which is like a clothing brand, skate clothing brand. And what they did was they collaborated with an artist called Blood Orange, who some of you might listen to, some of you might not, but He's one of my favorite artists. He's a great producer. He's worked with all of our faves like Solange, Mariah Carey, and he does a lot of really good work on his own. So they collaborated on this t-shirt where 100% of the proceeds would be split between Movement for Black Lives Matter and a Black business owner's relief GoFundMe. So that's where the proceeds from that shirt went to. I also got another shirt from a skate shop in Miami called Andrew, and (laughs) they are supporting a organization called FemPower, which is a queer uh, abolitionist uh, social movement, and they have a bail fund as well. So all of the proceeds from those shirts go towards FemPower's bail fund. Lastly, I've also supported the Black Trans Protesters Emergency Fund. Uh, it is Pride Month, as we all know, and especially because it's Pride Month, it is important to acknowledge that Black trans women have some of the highest death rates 
out of and like lowest life expectancy out of anyone in the population in part because they are targets of violence and a lot of their cases don't necessarily go investigated or completed by police and oftentimes they suffer violence at the hands of law enforcement themselves so i think you know black trans folks and black trans women really do need our support especially at this time if we're going to keep moving the conversation about black lives matter forward we do need to acknowledge that all black lives matter right and they're in partnership with the black trans travel fund for the girls and the ochre project and i also did want to shout out the ochre project as well because they do have a really good initiative going on right now where if you donate to them the donations uh, are going towards a like mental health and counseling fund which is being set up in memorial for tony mcdade and nina pop who are two black trans folks who uh also died due to violence so there's a lot of really good organizations doing work right now that you can support a lot of people as well. Um, you know, there's a current GoFundMe campaign started to disperse funds to homeless black trans women. There's also a group on Facebook called Reparations where you can send money to individual people as well. I know a lot of us are getting some stimulus from the government, especially if you live in Canada, we're getting those monthly Trudeau bucks. So why not consider putting a few of those dollars towards a cause? Because I guarantee you, we're all at home. We're not doing anything. There's no way that, especially if you're a student, you're going to be spending 1250 bucks this month. No, definitely agree. It's like, if you think about it, if you, you were out spending money, you'd probably be spending maybe like, I don't know, $50 on brunch or like on drinks. Well, that's not happening. So go donate that money now. Also, I wanted to give some best practices for when you're going to protests and, and some tips on what you can do to help out if you're down, if you're going to one. So yeah, so I, I went to a protest yesterday and to some things that I noticed and that I wanted to, to mention. One, definitely if you are a white or non-black POC, don't don't take any action at a protest that one of the leaders of the protest uh, or other black people around you haven't given you permission to take. So don't try to like incite any violence with the police or I don't know, just put other black people around you in danger. Best believe that if things get violent, the police are going to be going towards the black people who are there first not you, even if you are the one who like incited things. It's not your space to do whatever you want. Listen to the people who are around you who are leading the protest. Second, I would say bring cash. There were tons of local like black vendors, street vendors, who I was able to support because I had cash on me. A lot of them don't take credit cards or don't necessarily have Venmo or Cash App for you to give money to. So bring cash with you. Also, if you can and are you know able-bodied and have the strength to like lug things around, uh, bring like a backpack with you and fill it up with snacks and water and food, not to charge, but to give away for free. Cause that's not the point of going to a protest. I've seen people do that before. And the point of going to a protest is not for you to make a profit. So a couple, a couple tips I've learned from going to protests is one, um, like Jeffrey said, don't, if you're not a black person don't act in a way that's going to put the black people at the protest in danger uh like we've seen a lot of people doing with that said use your whiteness 
properly. Um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, videos that we've seen of of white people using their bodies, placing them between a black person and the police, which you should definitely do at protests I've been to in the past, had a chain of like white allies at the very front of the march and at the very back. So that way it was kind of a shield. So keep that in mind too. make sure that you're taking precautions in terms of your privacy. So if you are going to be messaging friends or people there, do it on an encrypted platform, use something like Signal. So that way, if police are there surveilling as they do, <laughs> your messages are protected. Take steps to protect your identity as well. Um, we'll take steps to practice sanitation in coronavirus time. So you should definitely be wearing a mask when you're going out. If you can wear sunglasses or anything else that protects your identity, that's great. You know, there's a lot of protest photographers and people taking videos right now, which is great because we need to see those images and we need people capturing it on video if something violent happens, but you also want to keep your identity safe in case things are to go south. Right now, the media isn't covering things in the best way they could. So the only way we know the full extent of what's happening at these protests is through your cell phone camera. Witness Media Labs has put together a, a guide for how to film the police. And so we can also share that with our listeners if they would like. Yeah, also on the point of protecting your identity, um, if you are a videographer, photographer, or just you know somebody who wants to post some stuff from the protests on your social media accounts, uh, if you can, if there are individuals who like perhaps are facing the camera and haven't shielded themselves, you can always blur out faces, put like sticker emojis on them, just try to do whatever you can to make sure that people aren't, you know, visible because it's it's dangerous. You know, there's tons of people who are going to try to, from pictures, find out who people are and attack them or try to get them fired from their jobs and whatnot. So we don't want that right now. Wash your hands. Bring a buddy if you can. It's always good to just have someone who knows your whereabouts at all times. Uh, ideally, if you can, maybe someone who you've been quarantining with or knows that you you have or you know that they've been quarantining and vice versa so that way you're not going out on the limb in terms of risking and get tested after you go to a protest because right now we're seeing a spike in covid cases but these aren't protest related because of the 14-day incubation period these are cases that would have likely been contracted a couple weeks ago so we want to make sure that the media doesn't have a narrative to push forth that the protests are causing more outbreaks. So continue to take precautions as you would during regular coronavirus times. There's an organization called Queer Care, which has provided sanitation protocols for uh, protesting during COVID. And we can also provide links to that as well. So the first song I wanna uh, add to the playlist today is All Right by Janet Jackson. So I've been having, I've had the song like on repeat literally the entire week. And I think in part, a lot of it is because I've been thinking back to my high school days. Cause like, like I was telling you earlier, we're all getting back together uh, in a few days to talk about race uh, relations and racial justice at the school and what the school could be doing better. So I've been thinking back to my high school days a lot and like the friends that I made who I still have since then who have been like real true friends. And that's, what that song is about is just it's 
like a very upbeat and a fun song about friendship. And yeah, and even just, you know, with everything that's going on right now in the world, um, I think it's always good to remember that no matter how bad things are, you always have, like you, people who you can turn to to be supportive and to make you feel better. So adding that to the buddy mix. And then the other song, You Make Me Feel Mighty Real by Sylvester. So with it being Pride Month, I wanted to add a song by a Black queer artist on there. And I think, you know, when we talk about Pride Month, people always love to talk about gay anthems. But oddly enough, a lot of the gay anthems that we tend to like put in our playlist are just songs by like women who are who like are big pop divas and obviously like contribute a lot culturally and musically to the community and to the culture, but who aren't really queer themselves. And we tend to often overlook a lot of um, our queer artists. And so I wanted to really throw it back to, I think, one of the first truly like gay anthems by an actual queer person, which is Sylvester. Yeah, this was a big disco hit back in like the late 70s. And I hope that listeners who might not have been exposed uh, enjoy it and add it to their Pride playlist. Yeah, that's that's genuinely, that song slaps. And I think my first introduction to it, at least, was seeing the lip sync between Bob and Derek in season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race. And Bob really like performed the shit out of that song. And it's it's a really good choice. And I think that's a great segue into my choices this week, actually, because similarly to you, I wanted to include music from Black queer artists as part of my buddy mix suggestions this week because as you were rightly saying there's a lot of you know gay anthems and I think gay icons in the pop music world that tend to be these straight white women and it's like well what does this look like now from the perspective of queer artists especially when there's so many that are openly queer uh, in today's music scene so the first song that I'm adding to the playlist and I think generally so far my songs have been a little more on the chill side but the ones that I'm adding this week are a little harder so we're gonna switch things up a bit so the yeah. first one I'm adding is uh, a song called On the Regular by Shamir off of his 2015 album Ratchet so if you don't know Shamir this is probably his most famous song he's a black non-binary artist but he uses he and him pronouns um his voice has almost this like prince-like androgynous quality to it which I think is really interesting I remember the first time I heard this song a few years ago I was like wow I've never heard someone have that kind of tonal quality to their voice and this is just a really upbeat fun song and he goes in like his bars are so fire in this song like it, it contains so many quotables honestly you could add any of these lines to your Instagram bio or caption or whatever um, there's lines like, don't try me, I'm not a free sample, uh, no multiple choice because I'm the only answer. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> right? It's such a good song. And he has put out, put out a lot of really good music since. So uh, Shamir on the regular is my first song for the playlist. My second is the song Junkie by the rap group Brockhampton off of their 2017 album Saturation 2. And Brockhampton was one of those groups that I discovered when they were still kind of, 
underground, <laughs> excuse me, um, not to say, not to be one of those people that that's like, oh, I liked them before they were cool. But um, I started listening to them when they had first put out their first few Saturation albums. And Saturation 2, I think as a piece of work or a body of work is probably my favorite album they've produced so far because the songs just really flow well from the first one to the next one. And a lot of these songs tackle societal issues like racism, homophobia, and the song Junkie, I think in particular, is no exception to that. So the main leader, I guess, of Brockhampton is uh, an artist named Kevin Abstract, and he's an openly gay rapper. And that's something that has kind of been a stumbling point for him because he always raps about his experiences being gay. Uh, and trying to normalize gay relationships in rap music. But after he put out his first couple pieces of work with these kinds of themes, a lot of people gave him flack for it, being like, why are you always rapping about being gay and, and stuff like that? And it's like, rap's always been a medium where people, I think, have overtly talked about their sexual experiences. And no one seems to care when it's a straight relationship or when it's a man talking about a woman in ways that are pretty misogynistic at times. And so I think highlighting gay relationships and trying to normalize gay relationships in rap music is something that Kevin Abstract's been doing, which I think is so important. And so he has a huge verse uh, right at the beginning of this song where he just talks about a lot of those experiences and addresses those comments about him always rapping about being gay directly. And beyond that, the song goes into a lot more uh, discussion about societal issues. In particular, there's another verse from a rapper named Matt Champion where he discusses rape culture and like what that looks like and like the issues with not respecting women, which I think for a lot of people is, is a theme that doesn't get talked about in this kind of medium enough. So I think it's a really important song for that reason. And obviously with Kevin being a gay artist, I think, it's also important to highlight for Pride Month. Yeah, no, great choices. And I think that bringing up Kevin's narrative within rap and hip hop, being a gay person and finding that that struggle to find support in the community reminds me a lot of like Frank Ocean. Um, and when he first came out and got really big, I was like, wow, like I think we're finally at a tipping point for the hip hop community where people are finally perhaps going to accept gay artists and they'll have more of a mainstream platform. But unfortunately, I think that was just kind of, I don't want to call it a fluke, but like definitely isn't, it didn't go in the direction that I thought it would. I, you know, I still think that for the most part, like you said, a lot of gay rappers feel as though they have to compromise their identity as gay individuals um, in their music for the sake of reaching a wider audience. And, and it's sad that, you know, in the last decade, we didn't really see su such a big breakthrough, but I'm hoping that now moving forward, we will start to see it and that we will start to look at LGBTQ people as truly, you know, because we have the same discourse now with Black Lives Matter, like people keep wanting to reinforce the fact that if you're going to talk about Black Lives Mattering, you also have to talk about LGBTQ lives mattering. So I hope we, in this decade, can start to, to see more, more and more Black rappers uh, who are gay or LGBTQ reaching greater heights. 
Yeah, I think a really good example of that actually is uh, someone like Tyler, the creator, because I think you saw in a lot of his earlier music when he was kind of on the come up, there was a lot of, you know, homophobic lyrics and content that comprised a lot of his earlier music. And I think that was a result of a lot of this internalized homophobia uh, and and stuff that he felt towards his own sexual identity. And I think now with his latest album, Igor, and songs like Boy is a Gun and things like that, you're seeing him, I think, embracing that identity more and trying to push forth a lot of those narratives again to a wider audience. So I think something like that is really promising. And I totally agree. I hope that a genre like rap and hip hop that I'm a huge fan of becomes a space for more queer artists. Bringing up Igor reminded me of how there was a, a lot of like discourse when he got best rap album at the Grammys about like whether Igor was a rap album or it wasn't. And that actually just reminded me of the fact that now um, the Grammys and a whole bunch of other music like industry giants have uh, taken the word urban off of, uh, you know, like removed it as a music label. Um, and I was wondering like what your thoughts on that are. Well, I agree with what he said um, when he said that calling something urban is just like a, a polite way of trying to say it's music only for Black people. And I think the reality is that like hip hop is probably the most influential genre of our lifetime. And you see so many white people profiting off of or appropriating a lot of the culture that hip hop came out of. I would highly recommend watching the docu-series Evolution of Hip Hop on Netflix. It's a really well-researched documentary. There's four seasons uh, and it just goes through the origins of hip hop in New York City and how it became this global phenomenon as a genre. But yeah, I mean, I think the language that they've replaced it with, which is what like progressive art or something like that, it's just, it's still very coded in that sense too. And I think like, it's just gonna be I don't think it's going to make a difference as far as continuing to have a category that just pigeonholes Black artists. So that's the thing I'm a little bit reticent about because you have so many people making genre-bending music right now that I don't think that this is going to have room for the multitudes of artwork that is happening right now. How about you? No, yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like um, th that's one of the things with language that's often complicated. Like, I definitely do think that language needs to be reevaluated all the time, that we can understand what, like, the connotation of certain terms truly are. But with that being said, I agree. I think tacking on just any other term to the beginning of it, be it urban or be it progressive or be it anything else, is just going to be coded language for Black, like you said. So I think that, um, I don't know, I, I don't know if there's any word really that can be put there that would make it more to like the roots of, of, of what the music really is. I think, I think with the Black Lives Matter movement happening in workplaces and companies and organizations across the US, Canada and the world, you're starting to see a lot of these for lack of a better term, cosmetic shifts in the way that a lot of these companies are presenting themselves. And I think this might just be one of those things. It's whether there's anything actionable that follows it up is the question. Also, um, I wanted to talk about Shamir a little bit more because okay. yeah, I, I very rarely have I encountered 
or, or heard of other people who identify similar to me as non-binary, but still use he, him, his pronouns. And I always find it really interesting just because for me personally, the reason why I still use he, him, his pronouns is because I love the idea of not being particularly quote unquote masculine, um, but still using mas- quote unquote masculine pronouns and like redefining what that might mean. So yeah, I just, I, I found it interesting that he also uh, kind of has a similar, well, I don't know if those that's his like reasoning, but has a similar um, background in that way. Yeah, I, I always find it interesting too, just this constant like conversation we're having about the way that we present and identify ourselves in terms of like our gender expression, our sexual orientation um, and, and all that stuff. And I think like, you know, with a lot of the the shit that J.K. Rowling has been talking this week with her turf wars, God, don't even get me started. Like that shit makes me so angry. And it's like, for so many of us, like who invested time and money into the whole Harry Potter fantasy, only for her to just ruin it is so upsetting. And and yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think like this this concept of you know not necessarily identifying as like a particular gender um but still using gendered pronouns is i think something a lot of people don't consider and like for you like you said you have this idea of you know not always presenting particularly masculine and i think like something that i've always like struggled with in terms of like my sexuality and my gender identity is for me as like a woman, I have always found myself to be a little more masculine, I think, than like feminine. Um, and obviously I still identify as a woman and like use uh, she, her pronouns and don't necessarily consider myself like non-binary or gender non-conforming. And, and maybe I will at some point, like I think the nice thing about gender is you have so much room to kind of explore it, like as you um as you age and and as your life progresses but I I don't know the interesting thing for me is that like so I have I have a condition where basically I have a lot more like male hormones than the average quote unquote woman like my level of like balancing estrogen with whatever um because this medical condition is much higher than it is with most women and so it's like there's like there's really no like biological determinant of what you know can construes a particular gender and that's why I get so mad when like people like JK Rowling state say shit like I I can't even talk about it it's like like women are the only people that menstruate like women are the only people do like as as a woman with a medical condition that sometimes prevents me from menstruating because of the way my hormones aren't as balanced does that make me less of a woman like you know what I mean what makes a trans woman less of a woman is it because they don't menstruate like that like that shit gets me so aggravated and like I hate it so much but it's just like uh, like you I'm just like <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going with this right now I just like I'm just so mad about the whole thing but I do like I just like the idea of being open-minded to the fact that like not everyone is going to present in like the way that you might think of gender, like if at all, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what you're saying all makes sense. Like it's it's complicated to to find sort of like 
solid concrete answers to these questions about gender expression because of the fact that like that binary is so flawed like what even is feminine and masculine to be exactly like trying to define those two terms with like certain biological um things with with how you walk how you dress how you talk all of like all of those forms of expression trying to like pigeonhole one into masculine and pigeonhole the other into feminine like all of that is such like murky wonky territory that that's why it's so hard to even sometimes like fully grasp like what your own identity is so like that's you said it perfectly like you know who knows in the future where you know how you might identify I know from like for me like my own expression constantly changes and there are days where I'm like okay maybe I'm I want to be quote-unquote more masculine as like society deems it and then quote-unquote more feminine like it's constantly always shifting and evolving so I think even labels are just like so hard to like put on yourself because of the fact that you're constantly shifting in your thought. Yeah, and that's the thing is like the the label is really what gets me because it's like that that is for the comfort of others over yourself. You know what I mean? Like putting a label onto what your gender identity and expression is is only so the outside world knows where to place you or how to identify you, right? Like what you identify as can change from day to day and isn't necessarily encompassed by like one particular thing. So I agree. And I, I think that the the issue is that, and I'm hoping that things are going to get better, but it's just a lot of people haven't been equipped with the tools to like express themselves in this way. Um, and that's why I think having comprehensive, like educational, material from kindergarten onwards uh, about like sex, gender identity and expression, all of that kind of stuff is so, 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 so important. Oh, a hundred percent. Cause it starts so, so early on. Like I remember when I first started to express myself a bit more quote unquote femme, uh, that was freshman year of college. And I was putting up all these pictures on Facebook And um, my mom was like worried about how those pictures might affect my job prospects. So she like created a meeting between me and my boss at the time at my internship because um, like my my mom babysat for her and whatnot. So she she felt comfortable with her. So my boss, my mom and I like sat down and like had this discussion. And um, my boss was like, you know, like you have your, your younger cousins who follow you on Facebook and Instagram who are like preteens and like you know they they won't be able to like comprehend this stuff and I was like actually like when I was their age when I was younger actually when I was like seven that's when I first started to like put on my mom's heels when she wasn't home or like be like "Ooh, that boy is cute so even that early on, like you're starting to express your gender and your sexuality. And if you, if I, if I had had people tell me that like my expression was okay and that they were there to answer questions for me, um, then I would have been a lot less maybe fucked up than I am now when it comes to understanding who I am. So, so I think we, I think as a society, we have to like get over this whole thing that sex and expression 
are taboos at that age. Like they truly are not. Like I was, I was also seven on Pornhub. So like, you know, we should probably reevaluate <laughs> like the age at which we believe things are okay to talk about. Well, yeah, and that's the thing too. Like I, I had grown up always like thinking and knowing that I was attracted to men because like one that was what people always told me I needed to be but two like you know I had felt like attraction whether it was like a little crush or whatever to like boys in my life before then but I was like 12 when thanks to Tumblr I realized I was also attracted to women and like (laughs) you know it was like at that time I think I had a lot of like I just pushed that that part of me aside because I was like it doesn't actually count um you know if I'm like experiencing like sexual feelings or attraction for like women because whatever like we all know I'm gonna grow up and date guys and marry guys anyway and so that's that's why I think we need to equip people with better resources and tools to talk about it because like you said it's it's never it's really never too early like kids are exploring their sexuality with with so many resources they have at their disposal through like the internet and and all of those means now and it's like wouldn't you rather they get that information from like qualified sources in a trusted environment and you know grow up with this education being so ingrained in them that they no longer have to feel like shame or anything about that true and and it's it's so great that you brought up you know, qualified sources, because that's the thing too, like with the internet being so large and expansive, you can find really great resources too, but you can also find tons of shitty ones which (laughs) aren't going to uh, capture, uh, you know, like the the essence or or truth uh, of what, you know, gender and sexuality expression and sex are. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like I didn't, I didn't learn about the idea of being pansexual until I was a camp counselor and I had at age 19 and I had a camper talk about their sexual identity in that way. And I was like, I like kids these days know so much. And I'm just like, it's nice to be able to learn from them because no one would have told me that like what I was feeling was valid at the time or that there was like a word for it if I hadn't had this camper talking about it herself so no literally kids nowadays are so smart and I hate (laughs) when people discredit them I hate people are like ooh, like gen z like all all they're dumb and like they're too attached to their phones and all they do is like swallow tide pods I'm like (laughs) I'm like no like sure some of them do swallow tide pods but a lot of them also like are super brilliant like there's they're a lot more thoughtful and aware and inclusive of each other than than kids my age were you know uh that was when I was their age and and like the way in which they already have all the terms down like I remember talking to some like 11 and 12 year olds when I was a senior in high school and I was like okay we're gonna talk about what LGBTQIA plus means and they were like, oh, here, we already know like what all of that is. Let's move on to something more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, like the kids are all right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One point going back to Pride Month I wanted to make. I was interviewed by a by a friend a few uh, 
days ago. She wanted to talk about pride and its origins and where I see pride going in the future, because I think we've definitely strayed from pride's origins. And I think it's it's kind of interesting seeing where we're at right now in the middle of Pride Month, because inadvertently we kind of have gotten back to what its origins were. I mean, since I've been going to Pride, it's been very capitalistic, and I'm sure it's been like that for many, many years before. But yeah, I mean, when it first started out in 1970, it was meant to be all about protesting for queer people, and there were queer you know, people of color and uh, trans women, uh, specifically uh, Black trans women who were, leading, who were leading the protest and who were leading the fight. Um, and then corporations just got in, started putting their little rainbow flags on everything and made it just a big cash cow for themselves. But I think, you know, right now with all the protests that are happening around uh, not just the U.S., but the world, we're getting back to a place where, again, inadvertently, Pride has become a protest. But I'm hoping maybe going forward, we can see that become part of it again. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right about the fact that you know, when Derek Barry threw the first brick at Stonewall, it caused, no, I'm joking. Derek Barry didn't throw the first <laughs> brick at Stonewall and no one died at Stonewall, <laughs> contrary to what Derek Barry believes. But, um, you know, when, when the Stonewall riots happened and you look at the vanguard of the pride movement, these were trans women of color like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. And if you haven't watched The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson on Netflix, go do that now. Another one I would recommend would be Paris is Burning. That one's a little controversial because it was kind of filmed through a white gaze. The filmmaker was a straight white woman. Um, So it's controversial in that aspect. But if if you want a good place to start, in terms of learning more about queer history and queer culture, that's a good place to do it. Um, So yeah, you're totally right. A lot of these movements were heralded by women of color, by queer women of color. Getting back to that now, I think you're seeing a lot of where these intersections of identity are are converging in these protests. And I think it's important to keep it that way because like you said, pride's been so commercialized. And for me, I've always, you know, gone to pride parades and you see so many just like little white girls with their little rainbow shirts who, you know, are like, (laughs) I don't know, who have no connection whatsoever to the actual meaning of pride, to the history of pride and kind of just see it as like another excuse to drink. But it's like, no, there's actual political history behind this movement and your allyship cannot be performative. Don't, you know, post a little rainbow flag in your bio or send out a little corporate memo. If you don't plan on learning about queer history, doing the work to uplift the voices of your friends in the LGBTQ plus community, like that's so important. And yeah, I think that's been really watered down by this idea that, you know, Pride has just become a party parade. That being said, I do think that there is something important to remember about the fact that joy can be a form of protest and rebellion in itself. And I think that I like the idea of 
pride being a celebration of that. Um, but it's important not to forget where a lot of those came from. I've actually seen uh, at New York Pride uh, some examples of them trying to find a balance uh, in, in, you know, in between having it be a joyous celebration uh, and having it be more radical and uh, celebrating, you know, what strides we've made, but also remembering that there's still tons of work that needs to be done. And, you know, they have, they have protests and, and sort of educational students of sorts that they do uh, at New York Pride. Unfortunately, those obviously don't get the attendance that the main parade does, but hopefully, you know, with so many issues being, you know, being brought to light through the movement right now, especially the fact that, you know, queer people of color, trans women of color still aren't factored into the progress that we've made the same way that their white cis counterparts are. I think people hopefully who want to actually be allies to the community might start to consider that. You and I were at DC Pride last year and we had a really great time, but I do remember there was one thing which was like super off-putting, which was when we were watching the parade itself, at one point there was a group of like, Trump supporters or Republicans for Pride or something along those lines. Like bottoms for Trump or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it was just like, I was like, I don't know how you can reconcile the two. Like, I genuinely don't understand. Yeah. Me neither. I truly have no idea and I never will understand. Yeah, so I guess it's just seeing things like that and you know an extension of that is there's always a lot of debate about whether the police should or shouldn't be at pride i think this year especially more than ever we've given ourselves enough reason to say that they shouldn't yeah agreed there's no there's no reason why our own community can't be the ones who are protecting ourselves and you know like there's no reason why we can't have a community police there at Pride. Yeah, or just in general. Yeah. Yep, exactly.